You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Good morning, family. It's good to be together today. Uh, last Sunday, um, I was preaching in Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, we had, so that was the church that we used to lead, and uh, it was their 30th anniversary, so they invited us back to speak. Uh, great to be with them. My family traveled down uh, from Ohio, but it, it's, I missed you guys. I know there was the marriage retreat last week as well, so it's just encouraging that we can be all back together uh, today. So, um, am I able to get a clicker? Is that possible? Don't see it. Oh, down here. Wonderful. All right, so if you are visiting with us, we welcome you. Glad that you can worship with us. Um, Today we're going to be looking at being members of one another. So we're in our series of real friendships and healthy relationships. This members of one another, I think, is so key just to understanding the responsibility and the level and the depth of love that God calls us to. I think if we can get this... All the other pieces just seem to fit together. This idea of being members of one another we find in various passages in Scripture. So in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, it says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So it talks about how collectively we, are, we make up and we become the body of Christ, and we enter into the body of Christ when we get baptized. But all of us individually, even though we are all part of it ourselves individually, we're members of that body, but collectively we make up that body. If you think about our human body, the Bible says in, you know, in in 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about the analogy of the human body and the foot belongs to the rest of the body as much as the hand or the eye. We're all part of it. Then in Romans 12 verse 5 it says, So in Christ we though many form one body as each member belongs to all the others. So this idea that I mentioned even last time of individualism and this individualistic mentality that our world forces upon us has no place within the body of Christ. Because it says we're all members together even though we are individuals. There's this collective responsibility that we have for one another. In other words, we are a family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Today I'm going to present a position on this that some of you, that would be, is potentially controversial. Okay? So I'm going to put it out there. You're welcome to accept it, reject it, study it, whatever. I don't mind. But this has been, a brother preached on this uh, a few years ago when we were in Knoxville. And I was like, really? And so I've wrestled with it over the years and examined it, and uh, I think he was on to something. So let's pray, and then we'll open up the Word of God a bit more. Father, we're so grateful that we get to be your children. We thank you for Jesus, our brother, our friend. We thank you for you, our Father. And we pray, God, that we will continue to learn how to be brothers and sisters in Christ because of Christ, for your glory, sharing your love with one another. God, deepen our understanding of your word. Get rid of the individualistic mentality that is forcing itself upon us 
so that we can learn how to love one another, serve one another, give to one another, just as Jesus has called us to and just as you have done to us. God, may your word, Father, today find fertile soil so that it can grow and flourish and produce just amazing fruits of love within your community so that we can share that love with all of those around us as well. We love you. We thank you for your amazing word. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the idea of us being brothers and sisters is probably the most common reference to us belonging to one another. That's what we see over and over in the Bible. In fact, our calling as a Christian, we see the most term, the term that is used the most in the Bible is disciples, and that we find is about 260 times in the New Testament. The second reference to our walk with Jesus, our belonging to one another, is brothers and sisters. We see it almost 200 times within the New Testament. And as we can see within this verse, Matthew 12, it has an integral part, even from Jesus' own theology and the way that he practiced. So, Matthew 12. So Jesus is told, by the way, Jesus, your mother and brothers are outside. And this is his reply. He replied to the one who told him, who is my brother and who, sorry, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my brother, sorry, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that person is my brother and sister and mother. This is really key and integral. Jesus is not rejecting his family, but he's saying my family extends beyond the bloodlines to become anybody who decides to be my disciple immediately becomes my brother or sister in me. And I know that we know that, but it's important that we hold on to that as we dig a little deeper. In Matthew 25, we also get to be told about an amazing parable of the sheep and the goats. And I'm sure you're aware of that. Jesus says that on judgment day, there will be him as the judge, and he will divide up people, some being sheep, some being goats. And he says the goats will be the ones who will sadly be sent to eternal damnation. But the sheep, they will receive eternal salvation, eternal life. Now, how he says he will decide on who goes to heaven and who does not comes down to how well we have loved others. You know the parable, correct? Okay, so let's pick up the parable and take a look. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. So Jesus says... Those who will be saved are those who carry out this commandment. Those who look out for one another, look out for other people. Loving them, caring for them, meeting for their needs. And he says this will be the determining factor as to whether people will be saved or not. Are you with me still? Alright, let's dig a bit further. Then, in verse, 20, in verse 40, 
They then say to Jesus and say, well, when did we see you doing this, Jesus? When did we see you in need in this way? And Jesus replies to them and says, and the king will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. What do you notice? Who are we actually called to help and love in this way? One another. He says, whenever you loved these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Jesus is saying that when we choose to love each other at this level, this depth of love, we end up doing it for him. When we choose to love the fellow members in the body of Christ, we are doing it for him, therefore we will be saved. And I'll share a bit more about that. Now, I don't think he's saying that we don't need to be helping the poor. But who are the poor within this text? It's brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what I believe. Now, remember, he said you will always have the poor. The poor are going nowhere, sadly. So he's saying, listen, and if you think about Jesus' ministry, you see Jesus intentionally loving people, intentionally loving his disciples. But when he comes across the poor, he takes, makes the most of that opportunity to extend love and mercy to them as well. But the intention is in his relationships with his disciples. I really believe that it's important that we understand this passage correctly. Because I believe that over the years, we've been told that we need to be living out this verse, caring for the sick, caring for strangers who are outside of our community. And let me tell you, I felt overwhelmed by that over the years. I don't know about you. Because it means that every person who's in prison, we should be visiting. Every person who is sick, we should be caring for. Every person who is in need, we should be bringing into our homes. That's overwhelming to me. And on Judgment Day, me included, many of us could be in trouble if this is Jesus' determining factor. I don't think us saying, hey, Jesus, I gave to Hope Worldwide is good enough if that's our understanding of this verse. Does that make sense? To me, that doesn't sound like the gospel. And I'll explain a little bit further. Now, you might be thinking, well, who, are, who is the poor? Who should we actually then be helping? And aren't there verses about the poor? Yeah, there are. Have a look at this. Galatians 2, verse 10. So what's happening here in the context of this is that Peter, James, and John have decided that they're going to go and minister to the Jews and Barnabas and Saul, or Paul, are going to go and minister to the Gentiles and primarily focus on the Gentiles. Peter, James, and John say to Paul, hey, if you're going to focus on the Gentiles only, please will you remember the poor Christians, and the context of this is the poor Christians in Jerusalem. Not just the poor, all of the poor everywhere but very specifically the poor Christians, because there had been collections that were being raised 
for the disciples in Jerusalem, not just to all of the poor. Does that make sense? And in fact, in Galatians as well, he says, Paul says, we must not get tired of doing good. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, we must work for the good of all. So he's saying, listen, we've got to constantly be looking out for ways that we can meet the needs of the poor around us. You see our unhoused person on the street near us, buy them a meal. Do Share that love. Extend that love. The work of Hope Worldwide, People Concern, I am so glad we're able to support such initiatives. They are amazing. I'm grateful for that. And we need to be engaging with those, I think, as much as we can. But he says we should be especially doing good for those who belong to the family of faith. Especially those who belong to the family of faith. You see, to God, we are our priority. We fulfill Matthew 25 when we decide to care for one another to that level of depth. Yes, as Christians, we've got to be merciful to the poor, but very intentional about our love for one another. Jesus didn't say, the world will know you are my disciples by your love for the poor. What did he say? You will know, the world will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. We've got to get this on straight. I really believe that. Because I think sometimes it's too easy just to think I'm obeying the scripture by, the, by an, you know, a random act that I do. You see, there's something so much deeper about this level of love. And that changes the world all around us. So, what was Jesus teaching then in Matthew 25? Let's dig a, bit deep, dig a little bit deeper. So as a reminder, he says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. If we are all members of the body of Christ, the me has to be one another. And what's going on here is he says, listen, I'm going soon. And it's going to get really tough for you guys as disciples of me. The world is going to hate you. You're going to be imprisoned. There may be famine. There may be hardships. You're going to be rejected by your families. It's going to be really tough for you as Christians. Look out for one another. When you see each other hungry, feed each other. When some of you get arrested and thrown in prison, don't leave them there. Go and visit them. When you see someone needing help, they're sick, take care of one another. Because you are all who you've got. The world is not going to have your back. You need to love each other in this way. And I think we see it in the New Testament. So many examples within the book of Acts and also in the letters. It's okay. Whoa. If you're watching online, the curtain at the back has just fallen over. So.
Okay, let's carry on. Wonderful. All right. So, we see it in action in the book of Acts and in the uh, letters in the church, but we also see it in church history as well. In about, in the early second century, there was a Christian Greek philosopher and he wrote uh, a defense to Emperor Hadrian about the early Christian church. And there's one by Tertullian which is entitled See How They Love One Another, or, or that's in there. But what I want you to see is this was the practice of the early church. By the way, apology doesn't mean he's apologizing for Christianity. It means it's a defense of Christianity. Okay? So look, look at what this says. So he writes to the, to the Roman emperor and says, They, that's the Christians, love one another. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. For they do not call them brethren after the flesh, but brethren after the spirit, as in God. And if they hear that one of their number is imprisoned or afflicted on account of the name of their Messiah, all of them anxiously minister to his necessity. And if there is among them any that is poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. Isn't that Matthew 25? They didn't twist it and change it to mean anything other than look after one another. Look after one another. There's no confusion. And yet, I think, sadly, I think we've got Matthew 25 wrong. As I said, you're welcome to come to your own conclusion, but this is mine. So what does that mean for us today? I think it's so important that we understand it correctly. Because I think, as I said, if we have the incorrect theology, we may be more eager to help the poor and neglect the needs within our own spiritual family. And once again, I'm not saying we should not be engaging within our community, caring for people, helping people, volunteering with Hope Worldwide, etc. Please, those things are so important. They're good for us, and the world needs it. But I think we may get confused and think we're in danger of obeying this verse when we're actually not. You see, Matthew 25 calls for an even deeper level of devotion than just once in a while helping out someone in need. It requires to a deep-rooted, Christ-like love that's constantly aware of the needs around us. It requires agape, limitless love that's always willing to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters. You know, when I was a young Christian... Um, oh, we have Chris McGrath here. We, we helped convert a Premier League football player, soccer player, in London. And uh, I um, was good, became good friends with him, and um, I needed to move out of kind of a worldly situation that I was in. And so the Premier League soccer player was like, CJ, why don't you come and move in with me? And I was like, great, thank you, I'd love to do that. So I'm living with him, having a great time. Um, get to go to, ga- you know, to games and everything. Really great experience. I then come out to the States for a, a, a month just to visit my family. 
And when I go back to the, to the UK, don't worry. When I go back to the UK, he says, oh, CJ, I'm getting married. You're going to have to move out. And I was like, okay, no problem. When are you getting married? Oh, in two weeks. I'm like, okay. So I call Hope Worldwide <laughs> and say, look, I'm homeless. I have, because I have nowhere to live. Cut a long story short, one of the sisters in the church who I'd become really good friends with her, her husband and her family said, just come and live with us. There were already six people in their house, husband, wife, and four kids. And I'm like, are you sure? If you got space, she said, we will make room for you. That's what this is about. That's what Matthew 25 is about. It's about being aware of the need. What can we do to make a difference? Do you remember a few weeks ago at a midweek, I shared about a young man who called me after 20 years and said how much he appreciated me being a mentor? It was her son. You see, through me being able to live in her home, spend time with the kids, hang out with them, you know, be a real little older brother to them, that's the level of connection that it built. I was able to then pay that love forward. That's what God does when we decide to love in that way. It's vital that we understand this properly. This verse, as I said, it always confused me, this passage, because it made me feel like, so I'm a disciple of Jesus, I'm here to evangelize, to reach out, to love disciples, and yet on judgment day, Jesus is going to decide whether I go to heaven or hell by how much I've helped the poor outside of my community. To me, it just didn't fit with the gospel message. But it fits because it's not we will be saved because we do these things, but we do these things because we are saved. That's the difference. So how do we, I'm going to bring this into land. How do we put this verse, this passage into practice? I think Galatians 6.2 sums this up perfectly. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? To love one another. To love one another. This idea of carrying one another's burdens, it simply means to lift the weight that we might be having. This could be a weight within our marriage. So what do we do? We get involved in each other's marriages. We help each other out. This could be the weight of wanting to see our children come to faith. So what do we do? Like, I really appreciate the brothers who particularly helped out with Nathaniel studying the Bible. So grateful. That's a weight that we have to carry as parents. But when we decide to step in and help and, and share that love, the weight is lighter. It's still our responsibility. But the weight becomes lighter. You know, we're a family. That's why we have the small groups. So we can see the needs, be involved in each other's lives, and see and grab those opportunities to be able to love in this way. Another thing about the church which is amazing is that we are multi-generational. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but in our Western culture, we don't always see intergenerational relationships, with, even within families. Many years ago, Sri and I went to the island of Crete for a vacation, and we got a little scooter moped thing, and we were riding around the island. And as we drove past up in the mountains, maybe some families, we, their doors were open, and we kind of looked into, the, into their homes. 
And so many homes that we looked into, there were grandchildren, parents, grandparents, all sitting together, eating together, being a real family together. It was a beautiful sight. And I think that when God looks at this community, that's what he sees within us. A beautiful sight of a little bit older, middle-aged, younger, all together being a family. But do we make the most of these intergenerational relationships? One of the things I think that I'd love to see us do more of is think about how can we share the love that we've received with a generation other than your own? How can we, like it says in the Bible, older people teaching younger people? Younger people looking out for older members of the church. That's a beautiful thing when we're able to do that. And you never know the difference that it will make. I'm almost finished, but I wanted to share this thing. So when we were in Knoxville many years ago, uh, about 10 years ago, there was a young... I, I, I loved spending time with the teens, connecting with them, talking with them. And there was one teen in particular who I really connected with. At the time, he was 17, 18, huge, strapping uh, football player, you know, great, great kid. And so I would just hang out with him from time to time. We'd go to Starbucks or whatever. And just sometimes we'd open the Bible. Sometimes we would just talk. Um, he went off to college. He went and played football in the Air Force. And that was the end. We didn't really get to connect after that. Just this past Sunday, we're back in Knoxville. And he came up to me. He's now 26, six foot three, huge. He could be the next Superman that kind of kid, right? And uh, he says, oh, CJ, can I, can I have a word? I'm like, oh, hope everything was okay. He's like, he's like, listen, I really appreciate the connection that we've always had. Will you study the Bible with me? For, out of nowhere. So encouraged to hear that. Where did that come from? Just those little times together. Just simply wanting to lift the weight and the burden off of his parents by wanting to spend time with this kid. You never know. You may not see the results today when, you, when we do things like that. It could be 10 years down the road. But if we just keep isolating ourselves from one another, even the way that we, where we sit in church is interesting. Can I go there quickly? Where are the yo pros? Where's campus? Okay, let's mix it up. All right? Sit in different places. I don't want to see yo pros over there, singles here next week. Get to mingle. Talk with different people. The more we can do that, we become that intergenerational family that Jesus wants us to be. Okay? He's already designed it. We've just got to be putting it into practice. Okay. Finally, let's get to the communion message, because I think I've gone way over time. It was the curtain's fault. So, in 1 John 3, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or a sister in need, but has no pity on them, How can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, 
Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is Matthew 25. And I hope that it has encouraged you to see it in a way. To me, I find it liberating. Not condemning, but liberating. Because I get to love my brothers and sisters the way that Christ has loved me. And I hope that you all can do the same as I know that you are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your incredible son who laid down his life for us. And especially this day on Veterans Day, we give thanks for those men and women who have given their lives to serve this country, including even my own father, grateful for him. But God, I pray, Lord, that you, our spiritual father, will infuse within us through your word a great sense of love and devotion for one another, the same sense of love that Jesus had for us, that we will share that with each other. Thank you that Jesus was willing to go to the cross for our sake, to lay down his life for us. And I pray that we can do the same for each other. God, give us an awareness outside of ourselves. Let us get rid of any selfishness or self-centeredness that where we focus on ourselves and look to one another to meet each other's needs. We thank you for his example. We thank you for his death on the cross. And we pray that it will motivate us and compel us to carry out that love in the same way. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.
You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. 